Yeah. It's hot. It's good. Hey, what's up, everyone? Thanks for making it out on this stormy, kind of rainy night. Um, if you don't have your Bible, there's Bibles on the sides, but if you do have your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to finish the rest, rest of the chapter tonight. Matthew chapter 18, if you are there, you can say amen. Amen? Amen? Amen. I'm going to be starting in verse 21. And so if you would like to follow along, it says, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow, servant, uh, fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and he began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell, fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw, that, uh, saw, what, what, saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have also had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers or tormentors until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the truth. I think this is one of those passages, Lord, that really helps us to examine ourselves and examine where we're at with our brothers and sisters. And so tonight, God, I pray that you would move. I pray that your spirit would use your word to do a mighty work within us. Whether it's going to that brother or sister and reconciling what needs to be reconciled to fix what needs to be fixed, whatever it may be, Lord, you called us to live in harmony with one, with, with one another as believers. And so, God, we love you. Help us to have a deeper love for the people around us. And we just pray for the pig roast as well. I just, that was on my heart. Um, as the pig roast is going on, starting on Friday, Lord God, I pray that the guys at U-Turn would see the vision and that they would see restoration there and that they would see that there's so much more, Lord, to life than just living for themselves. And so I pray that you would do a mighty work in them as we all go up there. And I just pray over Josh, Lord, as he becomes, as he gets ordained, pray that you do a mighty work in his life, God, and just use him as you see fit. 
And so we thank you and we praise you, God, for tonight. Pray you be with everyone that's not here. Um, wherever they may be, I pray that you'd keep them safe. And I pray that you'd just be with them. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people say, amen. Um, so we're kind of coming to an end. Uh, this, I see this kind of like a home team message. It's just us. So we're kind of coming to an end of the chapter um, of how God or how Jesus is explaining how his children wants, um, wants uh, basically how we are to live with each other, um, how we are to engage with each other. So Jesus closes this chapter with the importance of forgiving one another. This is a kind of a, yeah. It, I'm going to say this. It's one thing to kind of rub each other the wrong way. You know what I mean by that? Or we just don't vibe or jive. Or we can disagree on certain things. I know that for a fact. We have different opinions. Everybody's kind of entitled to their own opinions. It's one thing to rub each other or have, or, uh, have little disagreements. But it is another thing to actually sin against your brother or sister. To like sin against them. All the way from uh, you lying to them or even uh, lying about them. You know, kind of like spreading false information about someone. That's called gossip. Anybody know that? Right? That's gossip. It's called slandering. And even if it's true, like even if you know that something is true about somebody here, it's not our business to go and tell other people. It's not our business. See, here in the body, we want to build our brothers and sisters up, not tear them down. And the list goes on. Maybe someone misused you, and they misused your trust, or they've done something to you, um, and now you feel betrayed completely. You feel broken, you feel hurt, whatever that may be. And a lot of the times in situations like this, the heart, our hearts, my heart, your heart, will either do one or two things. Either we will distance ourselves from that person, right? I don't want anything to do with them. You sit here, I'll sit there. You come to this church, that's okay. It's an open door policy, just don't look at me, right? Like we kind of have that here. Or we will find some way to pay these people back in full probably with interest. Whatever it takes, I'm going to make you feel what I feel. I'm going to give you, I'm going to make you feel the pain that I felt. And yet if all of us here live that way, which is really an eye for an eye, can you imagine? The entire church would be blind. And so Jesus tells us not to distance ourselves from that brother or that sister, but he tells us to actually approach them. He tells us to approach the people that hurt us, to approach the people that sin against us. And when we do that, we come to them with the heart to make things right and not just be right. I said this last week. As I was saying before, you can win the argument but lose the brother. Anybody been in that kind of situation? You see, we want to address the issue, but the goal has always been to restore the relationship. That's the goal. To mend, to fix, to put back together. Because although those people can say, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? You and I can still harbor resentment. We can still harbor bitterness. We can still harbor anger if the only motive was to be right and not make things right. And so, well, if that's the case, then Peter starts off this thing like, how many times, Lord? Gosh. Like, how many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? Well, back in those days, the teachers of the law and the rabbis would suggest that three times was enough. After three times, that's it. You can hold a grudge against them. Kind of weird. Now, I don't know what you were able to do up until that point, 
But that was the measurement of grace on a person's life. But the Bible says in Romans, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Could you imagine if God said, well, that's it. You, you've reached your sin limit. That's it. There's no more repentance. There's no more I'm sorry. You're finished. How crazy would that be? Because if I'm honest with myself right now, and if, I'm on, if you're honest with yourself right now, I'd be done a long time ago. See, it's by grace you and I have been saved today. It's by grace Jesus doesn't just wipe out the entire planet right now. And yet even though we might see the grace of God poured out into our own undeserving lives, we have to ask ourselves tonight, am I pouring out this same measure of grace unto others? And I love Peter's, and I love Peter because he does exactly what most people would do or what most people would say. You see, he doesn't throw away that measuring stick. He just moves it up a few inches. Okay, if not three times, Jesus, then it must be seven times, right? You see, the problem isn't in the number of times people might offend us. People are going to offend us. It's going to happen. Jesus is saying the problem is that we're really good at keeping score. And what he wants to do is to destroy this record-keeping record habit within our lives today. He does this by saying, you are to forgive your brother or sister not only seven times, but what does he say? Up to 70 times seven. And if you go home tonight and you pull out the calculator and you're like, okay, well, that's 490 times. Jesus is saying, that's the problem. We're missing the point. What he's saying is that if you are keeping a record of faults towards anyone, if you are still keeping tabs on everybody in your life that hurt you, even though the both of you came together and settled the matter, for you to hold anything against that person means you truly haven't forgiven them. You see, biblical forgiveness is not only settling a matter, biblical forgiveness is also letting it go. It's letting it go. This means we are to let the past stay in the past. And if we're going to move forward together, we cannot continue living there, amen? So the question is who in the world would keep track of 490 offenses? <laughs> right? Like that's the point. Nobody. Jesus is saying 70 times 7 as an infinite number. There is no amount of times that we are called to forgive our brothers and sisters. And so for every offense in our lives, there should be forgiveness, a readiness to forgive. And true forgiveness always comes from the, always comes from the heart and not just saying, I forgive you. Because when someone wrongs us, where do we feel it the most? And so what Jesus does is bring us into what the Bible calls here a parable. Parables are meant to explain heavenly truths, right? Heavenly truths using earthly examples. And he usually does this by telling short stories that most people can relate to. Well, back in ancient days, they could relate to this, like farming and whatever that may be. He tries to always explain the unfamiliar with something familiar. And so he begins in verse 23 like this. For this reason, he says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. Verse 24, when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, I don't know if anybody here has ever studied, studied ancient times, ancient money, or back in ancient times, but one denarii, um, or talents and denarii. Does anybody know talents and denarii? Well, I'm going to tell you. One denarii 
was a day's wage back in ancient times, okay? One denarii. So if you worked a full day, you, or, you earned yourself how much? One denarii. Now, when the Bible speaks about talents, one talent was worth about 6,000 denarii. Now, if you wanted to make 6,000 denarii, you would have to work about 6,000 days, which comes out to about 16 years and some change just to make one talent. Jesus is saying in this parable that this man owed a grand total of 10,000 talents. And so if you do the math, it's like a zillion dollars. I don't even know how much it is. But on a real note, that's about 160,000 years in wages. 160,000 years in wages. This man owed a debt that could not be paid in a thousand lifetimes. Now, we don't know how this servant racked up so much debt here. Whether he stole the money, whether he borrowed the money and never paid it back, the king was bound to find out one day. And today was that day. And so the first thing I want us to see in these two verses is not just the offense, but I want us to see the one offended. I want us to take a look at the king. You see, what the king did first was summon his servant to him. This would give the king the opportunity to make known the crime or debt towards this person. Because a lot of the times when someone sins against us, it will always leave a trail of emotions, right? Always. And these emotions usually hurt, and it can be frustrating to deal with. We feel betrayed. We feel misused. We feel deceived. As, I mean, I felt that way. And a lot of the times, instead of approaching that individual and addressing the issue, we would rather keep distance from them and just say, I don't want anything to do with that guy. I don't want anything to do with that sister. And we do this because to deal with the offense is to bring up all the negative things that follow behind it. And yet what Jesus is saying here is that forgiveness in the heart, as hard as this may be, it always begins with you. It begins with you. It begins by you going to that person who offended you and telling them the truth. It starts with truth-telling. Because this is the matter. If we don't talk to them, guess what? Usually this happens, we'll talk to others. And our hearts can be quick to kind of exaggerate the situation or say things that might make the other person look worse than they actually are. I've seen this. Because when we're angry, when the heart is jealous, when the heart is bitter, we have no control over what we might say. The Bible says in our many words, sin isn't lacking. We might find ourselves saying something about that story or that person that might not even be true. And so in Ephesians 4, 25, Paul says this, to put away falsehood. Put away falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are all what? Members of one body. If we owe our brothers and sisters anything here, we owe them the truth. This means that my assumptions and my opinions should stay with me. A lot of unnecessary fires can be prevented this way in the church. Amen? And so Jesus begins this story with the king approaching his servant. And even though this man did what he did and now owes a massive debt, the king stated the matter plainly. I like this. Not one denarii under, not one denarii over. He stated it exactly like how it is. And now that this servant was caught, this king had every right to do what he was about to do. Let's read verse 25. 
But since he did not have the means to repay, the Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment to be made. You see, I think when people heard this story, they knew that no family would ever be worth that much money. None. And because of this, they knew that this king was angry. This king was frustrated, and he was upset about this man's sin. But even in this king's frustration and this king's anger, he didn't exaggerate the situation, nor did he downplay it. Because that's not being truthful either. On a side note, if any of you seen me going down a road that I shouldn't be going down, if there was a direction that I was going that would harm me and harm others or harm my wife, wouldn't you tell me? And so in the same way for this king to never address the issue or to make light of a heavy situation would do this man no favors at all. Oftentimes, people don't see the mess they're in until somebody comes alongside them. And I said, come alongside. Not to police over them, but to encourage them that this isn't right. Or you're heading down a hard path. And whether, they not, or, whether or not that they listen to you, it's out of a love for their soul. It should always come from a place of love that the truth is spoken over them. And this is exactly what the king came to do. Not only to deal with his servant's sin, but to deal with his servant. And as hard as this may be for us, we are called to not overlook the issue, but look past the issue and onto the person. This is what the love of God looks like in our lives. Because to dwell on their faults or to only point out their sin in any situation that we come across is not loving them at all. This means as Christians, as brothers and sisters, as God children, we are called to care more about that person and our relationship with them than what he or she has done to us. That's hard. That's hard. So it's not just about approaching that person and addressing the issue. But the goal is always to move past the issue and to have a relationship with them again. The goal has always been to mend, to always fix, to restore. That's what true forgiveness looks like. Not to just address. And so let's read verse 26 to 27. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. It says in verse 27 that the king released him. See, the language here is that it means that he let him go. See, instead of continuing to treat him as a debtor, he restored him his rights. Because true forgiveness towards your brother or sister is not only settling a matter, and I said this earlier, but it is also what? Letting it go. It is so hard to move forward in any relationship here if you have problems with anybody here when two people are constantly living in the past, when they're constantly revisiting, um, revisiting previous offenses. And this can be a sign, and I truly wholeheartedly believe this, this can be a sign that you truly never forgave in the first place. In fact, to keep that list in your pocket means you're still holding on to a debt that you said was canceled. That's what it means to forgive, to cancel a debt. 
And if we decide to live this way, the ones that hurt us or sins against us, even though we settle the matter, we will continue to treat them as a debtor from time to time. We will continue to treat them as if they owed us something and we will never be free from this burden. I like this quote by Tim Keller. He says this, when you decide to stay angry, when you decide to hold things against them, when you continue to regard them as liable to you and they owe you, that itself is a prison. We can unknowingly put ourselves in a prison of resentment towards people. One person said this, that resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It'll only hurt you. Rather than being free, we want to keep ourselves in a place of control over that person to make sure they know what they've done wrong. But that always comes with a cost. It'll always come with a cost. You will never be free from the bitterness. You will never be free from the anger or the hurt that came with it. You will be trapped there until you move on and let things go. Amen? And so let's finish the second half of this story. It says in verse 28, but that slave went out, but that slave who was just forgiven went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Okay, this is a hundred, this is a hundred days wage, by the way. And he seized him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw that ha- saw what would happen, so when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved, and came and reported to their lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his lord said to him, "You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also had mercy on?" your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. We can take that with a grain of salt. You know, when someone hurts us or sins against us, human nature, our heart, would rather resent than to release. We would rather demand from them than to forgive them. Because when wrong is done, there is always a debt. Always. And there is no other way to deal with it. None. Without you suffering or making the other person suffer for it. Forgiveness is always costly. Lots of blood, sweat, and tears. But it'll cost you much more not to give it. Because what we see here is this servant do exactly the opposite of what was done for him. Because of this, now the king was furious, as we see in this parable, as Jesus says. And if we want to understand this parable, we have to understand that this parable is talking about you and me. We're going to put ourselves right in the the story. And it's not just talking about us. Maybe you've heard this story before. Maybe you've heard this taught. It's not just talking about us withholding forgiveness from others, but we were the ones in debt towards the king. All of us here. 
You and I had a sin debt that could not be paid even in a thousand lifetimes. And in verse 27, when the king released his servant and forgave him, it means that this king absorbed the loss himself. That debt. It's saying that Jesus would take it upon himself to forgive us from a debt we should have never been forgiven of. In the same way that we might look at somebody and say, that person doesn't deserve to be forgiven, Jesus didn't deserve to die in our place. And yet because he loves you and I so much, he willingly died in our place. There is nothing more unfair, there is nothing more unjust, undeserving than Jesus taking upon our sin so that we might be forgiven. And this is the gospel. And so the question for us tonight is this. How can we here who receive God's forgiveness undeservingly, unrightfully, not extend the same kind of forgiveness to those who ask for it? And I think maybe we can continue to meditate on that. You know, and kind of like Peter in the beginning he asked a question that was truly only one-sided. How many times do I forgive someone when they sin against me? But the truth is, we are capable of sinning the exact same way. All of us. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're probably capable of much worse. And this is why the golden rule is so important. Do unto others as you would do unto yourself. How would you want someone to handle your sin if you're the offender? If that's you. And the real question is, what kind of forgiveness would you want to receive in that position? I'm pretty sure it's the one that says, I love you, I forgive you, let's move on. Amen? Amen, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son dying for us unrightfully, unjustly, unfairly, undeservingly. And that when we put our faith in you, all of our sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. That's that enormous debt that we could not pay. And so I ask that that would change our hearts tonight, Lord, and how we see our brothers and sisters that have sinned against us, who have maybe offended us. I pray tonight, God, that if there's people that we need to go up to and say sorry, or if there's people that are asking for our forgiveness, that we would go to them and that we would go to them with a heart that wants to reconcile and restore that relationship again because that's what you called us to do. I pray that we would see them on how you see us, that you love us, Lord, and that you show us infinite mercy and grace. And I pray, Lord God, that when we engage with, the, with each other, we interact with each other, and we come into situations like this, Lord, that we would treat others just as you would treat us. I pray that the gospel would change our hearts here at Calvary Chapel, North Shore. And I pray that you would fix relationships and heal broken hearts tonight. And so we love you and we praise you, God. And we thank you for your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.